Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Lisbon Kawaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Mitch Stark and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast and on today's episode we recap the first Ashes Test at Edgbaston where Australia has won by 251 runs at 8 for 122 midway through day one and Australian victory looked unlikely but through Steve Smith the visitors rallied and rallied hard to storm over the top and get the win. Here to review the first test is cricket.com.au senior writer Andrew Ramsey and Rambo before we get into our recap categories. What was your personal highlight of the first test? Apart from the daily lunch, which is just outstanding at Edgbaston. They do a great job, Warwickshire. The best uh, test match catering in the world. Um, Just watching Stephen Smith come back and play test cricket and bat. Like you'd forgotten almost uh, in the months he'd been away how dominant he is when he's in that frame of mind. And it's just like you sit there thinking, how can anyone get him out? He just walks around his crease and hits the ball where he wants. It's extraordinary. It is extraordinary. The uh, He was in red ball rhythm, wasn't he? Uh, let's start off with our categories. We'll give out the 3-2-1 votes. And the three is pretty easy. He's the man of the match. He scored twin hundreds for the first time ever in any form of cricket. Uh, the first time an Australian has done it in an Ashes Test match since Matthew Hayden in 2002. The first time in England since Steve Waugh in 1997. The two of them posted this lovely picture at the end of the day's play after Steve had achieved that. Steve Smith had achieved that. Uh, Batted for nearly 12 hours at the crease, 144 in the first innings, 142 in the second. Incredible effort given all the circumstances being out of the game, for out of test cricket for 15 months. Um, didn't feel like he was hitting the ball well until a couple of days leading up to the test match. Had about 6.5 million throwdowns to get himself in the right frame of mind, and it worked. And as you mentioned, England really just don't know how to get him out. No, and uh, perhaps the most telling element of uh, that was that when he did eventually get out uh, on the fourth day for 142, as we said, um, there was more cheering than booing. On mm. a Sunday, in the uh, quite a large crowd at Edgbaston on a Sunday, um, and you've got to think that if English cricket fans have run out of booze, then something has seriously changed. Yeah, absolutely. Because they love their booze. They, lo- <laughs> they love their booze, particularly in the holly stand. Particularly in the Holly Stand. They must love their booze as much as they do getting dressed up. Yes. But, I mean, that, that just shows just how much he wore down the players and the fans. I mean, it was just extraordinary. I mean, where do they go? They had that two-day um, planning session at St George's Park, the England side. Um, they probably had six or seven plans for Steve Smith. Pretty much they tried them all, didn't they? They had leg slip in, a short point, which... Um, baffled the Australians, especially the coach didn't really say that before, they had a, a man close to the wicket on the onside, uh, mid-offs, mid-ons, uh, different funky fields, but nothing seemed to work. No, uh, I don't know where they go from there, body line's been tried, that's been outlawed, uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, there was a moment where the ball, I mean, I think Stephen Smith was out by this stage, but it disappeared into the crowd and came back and clearly had someone had dropped it in a pint of beer because uh, Joe Root took a whiff of it and held it out as if it was a, a pair of old 
overworn socks um, and demanded that it be changed straight away, which it was. Uh, so maybe that's the answer. You just get someone to get hold of the ball early on and see what it does. Because if the ball is got booze, then mm. who knows what might happen to it. Wasn't they called the old, the old perfume ball? They called the bouncer? What's this one? Past the nose. Yeah, this would have been a stench ball. I yeah. think I gathered this. Which is, uh, come back. I don't know what it had been dropped in, but clearly one of those nasty, warm English ales. Well, they, they tried about a dozen times, the two teams, to get the ball changed when it went flat after about 35 overs. Maybe that's what they got to do, just lob up a full toss, get it hit in the stand, and hopefully it lands in a pint of beer. It's a good shot if you can get it in a pint of beer because they're quite, they're quite small, those plastic cups. Yes. Okay, Steve Smith, unbelievable. Three points, undoubtedly. Uh, two to one, a little bit tougher. Let's start with the two points. Nathan Lyon finished the game off with six of 49, his first five-wicket haul. In England, his second overall in Ashes contests, uh, nine wickets for the game, went past the 350-wicket milestone, fourth Australian to do it, just a couple behind DK Lilly now, an amazing career, 87 test matches, uh, hasn't missed a test since 2013, that Ashes series over here in England, um, fantastic record. Other contenders, uh, Pat Cummins took uh, seven wickets for the game, got a pretty quick fire, 26 uh, not out as Australia Ramped up their lead on day four. Uh, and then Rory Burns, the unfashionable England opener. Uh, you look at his technique, a bit like Steve Smith. You go, how has that uh, made it all the way to the, the top level? But when everything's um, with the point of delivery, everything seems to be lined up pretty well. And he made 133, one of the few players about an all five days of a test match. Um, defied the Australians for many, many hours. Uh, who were given the, the two points to, Rambo? Uh I would have to go with Nathan Lyon for two votes, um, not just because you know, he's the only person to pass 350 wickets in that test, mm. um, but he's batting on the the first yes. day when, uh, and he has mentioned I think that he was he's never felt as much pressure or more pressure than when uh, Stephen Smith knocked a single I think and he, to get to 99 and he had to face three balls of an over um, with the former captain at the other end with a century beckoning mm. the game very much still in the balance at that point um, managed to survive Smith went on got his 100 imagine if he'd got out oh. the innings ended with Smith 99 not out I mean you'd just be bereft wouldn't you knowing that he could have batted for days and days so ironically uh, he would have got a big cheer though yeah he would have because <laughs> uh, the booze ban hadn't kicked in by that stage yes. but, uh, so I think that coupled with his six wickets today and it really did bring the test to a a rapid finish once he got going and got through the England batting lineup. Um, he was always going to be the danger on the last day and lived up to the expectation. It's funny, his, his record, he actually averages uh, out of the four innings the most in the fourth innings. And it's always a bit daunting on a spinner, isn't it? That on a day five, on a turning pitch, they're just expected to win you the game. Uh, I don't think Lions handled it as well as some others. And it's tough when you've got Shane Warne in the commentary booth commentating on it because. I mean, he did it regularly, and he was the best spinner who's ever lived, so uh, he would probably think it's a bit easier than some others, but lived up to his reputation today and bowled perfectly, didn't I mean, there was a lot of rough there for him. Didn't really look like he tried to overexert, overplay his hands, put the ball in the right areas, which seems to be one of the uh, the mottos of this Australian cricket team, but uh, great effort from Lyon. So the one, it's a shootout between Cummins and Burns. It's an Australian win by 251 runs. You kind of got to go... To Cummins, he got his 100th Test match wicket in just his 21st Test match. But should we go for Burns? That's a fairly impressive innings against a, a very, very impressive Australian attack. And uh, 
guy playing in his first Ashes Test uh, hasn't played much Test cricket at all. I made a lot of county runs, but uh, it was and was given the uh, the rather bad rap he got from Ian Chappell, mm. uh, who called him among other things a crippled crab. I think prior to the Test and said that you can't succeed in Test match cricket with that technique. So for uh, maybe defying the odds as well as the critics, he can get a a vote. We'll give him a point. Uh Cripple crab. They served that at lunch at one point. Uh, no, no, that, w- that was actually taken off the menu uh, out of respect, and they they went with the lanky lobster instead. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Burns. He also played in Australia a bit, so he, he's got a bit of an Aussie connection there too. Opened the batting with David Warner. Went to the Darren Lehman Academy. So there are some Australian ties there. Mm, I once put on a very large partnership with Travis Head uh, in Premier Cricket in Adelaide. I think Travis made 180 odd in that game, and he was about 12. Right. There you go. Okay, uh, better than their stats show. This is another little category we've just uh, jumped in there. Uh, Peter Siddle, his first uh, Ashes Test match for a little while. Uh, missed out in the home summer in 2017-2018, but through weight of wickets, uh, particularly in county cricket, got picked. Uh, it was a line ball decision between him and Josh Hayeswood. Took two for 42 and none for 82. So just two for 80 for the match, but also scored a very crucial 41 on day one in tandem with Steve Smith to resurrect the Australia's innings. Tell you what, uh, a none for 28 has never looked so good. He beat the bat constantly, had a couple of wickets, reviews overturned them, uh, yeah, beat the bat, um, did pretty much exactly what they wanted from him was control the run rate, be steady, reliable. You know what you're getting out of Peter Siddle um, and uh, the coach. From all reports, was very happy with what he did. Uh, yes, uh, you'd be one of those in you know, 150 years' time when we look back at the scorecards and try and remember where we were on that day. We'll say, well, Peter Siddle, he didn't take many wickets. We made a couple of runs. But if you there at the time, as you say, that, that partnership on the first day was just crucial. I, I can't see how Australia could have won that test without those uh, last two wickets putting on as many runs as they did. Um, and then just even there's the pressure he built bowling, Mm. That, which allowed Nathan Lyon to attack from the other end. Like if they'd been leaking runs, and um, that would have got England up and going, the crowd up and going on the last day. But his uh, the number of times he beat the bat, uh, even beat Tim Payne at one stage, didn't he? Got the edge of the bat, and it moved uh, like he was obscured by the fact that the Jason Roy was squared up, and the the nick caught him wrong footed. So he was had everyone fooled. He did, Peter Siddle, better than. Uh Better than his stats show. Okay, the turning point. Kind of mentioned a couple then. Uh, go with the, those partnerships on day one. At 8 422, Tim Payne winning the toss. <laughs> it sounded like a good toss to lose <laughs> when they were down uh, eight wickets about midway through the first day. But Peter Siddle and Steve Smith, they put on 88 for the ninth wicket and then for the 10th wicket, Lyon and Smith put on 74. So crucial. I mean, it just deflated the England side, if they could have rolled Australia for, what, 130, they might have had a lead by the end of day one. That's right. Um, and given Australia's recent past, when batting collapses, especially lower-order batting collapses, have been a bit of a thing, um, I guess when guys like James Pattinson and Pat Cummins, who have been known to be very handy uh, bowlers with the bat, um weren't able to contribute much. I guess everyone thought that the writing was on the wall, but the Peter Siddle and Nathan Lyon hanging around with Stephen Smith, that uh, it just gave them, I mean, 284 at that point, would have they would have taken that oh, um, yeah. every day of the week. And uh, as it turned out, it set up the game. Absolutely. Other turning points, 
I thought were Joe Root, that he was out caught and bowled to Siddle, one of these two wickets, but a very important one. England were cruising at that point, uh, but Siddle's just bowled a ball right in the block hole, challenging uh, Joe Root's defence, and he's bunted it back, and Siddle has just flung out his right hand and intercepted this ball, did it easy as you like, straight in, threw it up, and got the major breakthrough. And then uh, in the second innings, England's second innings, Ben Stokes, England were cruising. Um, was it their first innings? Definitely their first innings. They battled last night. They, they ben, were never cruising in this They were never cruising in the second innings. Sorry, uh, Ben Stokes, England were cruising, and he's just nicked one out of the blue um, to fall for 50. Again, with him and Burns had put on a lot of runs, uh, and that just sort of stopped their momentum and gave Australia another sniff of getting back into the game. Yes, uh, it was the lower order runs that Australia were able to scrounge. England couldn't quite, although Stuart Broad did bat for a while. Um, but mm. yes, if on that sort of pitch and the way that the, the bowlers were probably being asked to, the workloads they were carrying, if, if Stokes had got going, as we saw in the test innings in South Africa a few years ago, he can score at a furious rate of knots. So um, if he'd got going and got past 100, who knows what they would have ended up with and how far in front they would have been. But um, I think England's captain said after the game they would thought they'd won the first three days of the test, essentially. So to win the first three days and lose the match by as much as they did shows you how quickly it did turn on those points. Mm. Well, Root was out on the last ball at the 50th over at uh, 154, so that became 254. And then Stokes... England were just two runs behind Australia at four for two ninety two eighty two when he fell in the ninety seventh over. Uh, they end up they end up quickly becoming eight for three hundred. So there was four for not many in that spell. Um, could have been a different story. And when you think that a ninety run lead is it's quite big in Test match cricket, but it probably should have been a lot more. Really, I mean, on that wicket against an old ball, the attack was starting to get tired. The Cummins bowled thirty three overs in that first innings. Pattinson twenty seven. Siddle twenty seven. Lyon was into his 44th when the innings finished. Uh, if they had kept them out there for another 20 overs, it could have been a completely different game. Mm. In, it could have been. It could have been. How about the, uh, the, final, the final turning point we're going to talk about? Is Jason Roy playing in his first Ashes Test match. Uh, day five, England needing to survive 90 overs to draw or 385 runs to win. He probably thought the win was on the cards the way that Jason Roy plays, but... Against Nathan Lyon with all that rough, he's charged down the wicket, missed, balls just crept under his bat and uh, hit middle stump. Wasn't the prettiest looking dismissal. I guess they never are, Andrew, but that one was particularly ugly and really set uh, England on a course for a loss. Uh, yes, it was, there's been a lot spoken about Jason Roy. He doesn't have a lot of first-class experience opening the batting. He has a lot at, at one-day cricket, white ball cricket, where he's a, a, a bit of a force of nature at the top of the order but um, there's been questions marks about his temperament in test cricket and he probably didn't do much to erase those. He, I think he faced more balls in the innings than the other England batter so it wasn't like he was uh, slogging from ball one he was playing quite well until that point but the pressure that we mentioned earlier on Peter Siddle's spell and then not being able to get Nathan Lyon away and he just had a bit of a brain snap really and uh, it's not often that you see three dismissals in play but he could have been if he wasn't bold, he could have been stumped or even run out because he was that far down the pitch and on the charge. So you just if he'd missed it and called, uh, he could have just kept going. That's a good little tidbit there, uh, Rambo. Roy thirty nine balls in innings. Root fifty seven. Um, the rest of the middle order, no one got to thirty. Burns thirty three. 
But uh, Denley, 15. Butler, 25. Only scored the one run. Stokes, I think it's 28. Can't read my own writing here. Besto, just eight. Uh, Moeen, 28. Again, out to Nathan Lyon. So, uh, yeah, Jason Roy. Talk about where he's going to bat in the second test. Maybe shuffle down the order, but don't want to make too many changes after this one game, but we'll touch on that a little bit later. Okay, uh, next category. Haven't seen that before. How about uh, when James Pattinson, he's squared up Joe Root, hit the top of off stump, perfect seam bowls delivery, bowl stays on. Uh, have you seen that before, Andrew? Haven't seen that before. Not and someone at his pace. I gather there was a couple during the World Cup when they uh, the bales that had the... LED lights in them, but they weigh something like 30 or 40 kilos, those bales, so it's not surprising <laughs> they that they don't shift. Though, they? Um, they, were, they were not... Flush on. Yeah. Um, you have to think that the delivery that Pat Cummins bowled today that kissed the top of Joss Butler's off stump was not dissimilar, and that yeah. uh, did the job. The stranger thing, I thought, was that uh, not only did that happen, but then later on, when Nathan Lyon cleaned up Moeen Ali, who hadn't played a shot, it, it hit the, immediately hit the off stump flush, but it took it out of the ground. Yes. So how can you go from a guy bowling 90 miles an hour who can't get a bale to fall off to a guy bowling considerably less, taking the stumps out of the ground? Uh, I don't know. It's, is that the laws of physics or it's just... I don't know. I had a theory, though, that those two stumps for a right-hander, the off peg and the middle peg, are plastic stumps because they have to have the cameras and all the sound equipment in them. And the leg stump is wood, which would have been Moeen Ali's off stump. So they've got different materials for the stumps. Uh, and apparently the plastic ones uh, have to be in harder to make sure the equipment stays put. And that's harder to uh, to dislodge the bale. Whereas the wooden one, straight out. Maybe there needs to be a different bale on the top there. Maybe mm. that needs to be made of balsa or something very lightweight. <laughs> yes. Perhaps some sort of polystyrene material. The other thing we haven't seen before in this test match was uh, the names and numbers on test shirt. First test match of the World Test Championship. It's a playing condition that you have to have your name and a number on the back. Uh, it's caused all kinds of outrage. I think uh, pointless outrage, personally. Uh, what's the big deal? Some players, well, I mean, a lot of them, someone like Brett Lee and Adam Gilchrist, vocal on Twitter saying they, they uh, don't approve. But, I mean, what's the big deal if it helps... A couple of new fans recognise some new heroes. What's the harm in that? I think there's a lot of things in the world that we can get angry about ahead of that, to be honest. <laughs> uh, the thing that struck me as curious was that uh, it's a bit like you know, the clothing and the different shades of white that you can get. The, the, there's no uniformity in that. Like the Australians have got very big, thick yes. numbers and the, the letters that spell out their names are quite thick so you can read those from a distance. Where the England ones are quite, mm. the numbers are quite thin and the names are written on by fine point lead pencil and you can barely read those the other thing is that once the weather gets a bit cooler and players put their jumpers or sweaters as we like to say in the u.s over the top it obscures it anyway so until the local ladies guild or someone else can get around to knitting yeah the names and numbers under the back of the the jumpers um, and i'm sure there are men knitters who could be doing yes um then the whole thing seemed probably a little bit uh, half-baked. I don't think the players want to give the, the woolly knit. To that. That's, uh, that goes right back to the, the tradition back in what, 1877. They all wore the woolly jumpers then. So if they they take that away from them, they might be even a bit more outraged. But uh, haven't seen it before, but we're going to see a lot more of it. Yes, uh, and 
it's good for those of us who you know perhaps don't see much of teams from international uh, other countries other than Australia. We can immediately yes. work out which one's Jason Roy and which one's Joe Denley. I actually found it really helpful. If you're glancing from a distance, you can pick them up straight away. Yes. Yeah, I think it's... Which I think is the point. Yes, I think it's the whole point of it. Uh, Were there some things that you'd never seen before in this test match, Andrew? There was a couple. One of them I mentioned was the ball... Although I've seen the ball dropped in a pint of beer. I think it happened during the 2005 series a couple of times where it comes back and it's... Because the whole point of getting the ball to... Uh, swing is to keep it dry and manage its condition. So if you drop it in a pint, that clearly doesn't have an effect. But then there was today a, a moment where the game was stopped because Jason Roy could hear a noise coming out of the uh, stump mic. The battery, it apparently, was on the wane um, and it was emitting this kind of high-pitched squeal, which uh, he could hear. The people in the slips cordon couldn't because it was not that... I'm not sure if dogs in the local area were picking it up <laughs> as well barking. because uh, I didn't see anything. There was no infestation from the of pooches from around the uh, Edgbaston area. But it was clearly distracted Jason Roy terribly because he uh, stopped the game and they faced up for another ball and then had to walk away again. They had to come out and replace that stump, which is obviously one of the plastic ones. Uh, Must so have been, yeah. I hadn't seen that before um, and perhaps that's something that needs to be looked into because if tests are going to go five days, they'll want longer life batteries. Just check, your, just check the batteries. Rule number one, isn't it? Surely you figure that out. Well, that's one thing they can look at, I'm sure. Is that all? Is that the, is that the only thing you hadn't seen before? I hadn't seen that before. Okay, beautiful. Moving on. Unforgettable moment of the test match. Steve Smith. It's hard to go past him. Uh, just everything that he's been through. I mean, the um, the suspension, uh, being out of the game for so long. He said uh, previously, and then he brought it up again, uh, speaking to the media, that he fell out of love with the game after he hurt his elbow playing in Bangladesh. Didn't think he didn't really want to pick up a bat, which is sounds extraordinary for someone like Steve Smith who just can't stop uh, can't stop batting. I mean, what did he say that he? Uh, shadow bats in the shower or something it's pretty extraordinary uh, to, go, to go through all that um, to be out there on day one of his comeback Australia in all sorts and to just remain rock solid and have the faith in Siddle and Lyon to get through it and then with Lyon to farm the strike so well uh, to add more and more runs on 74 they added on uh, it's just extraordinary and then to back it up to get another 100 what did he tell um, Matthew Wade at breakfast that morning that he, he'd never done it before? And Matthew Wade said he's he's on for one here. And then sure enough, he backs it up again. So uh, 24 and 25 number centuries in test cricket for Smith. Uh, I think everyone who watched those innings will they'll probably stick with them for a long time. Uh, yes. Um, and you kind of get the feeling that even though he's obviously back and enjoying himself, that enjoyment seemed to grow throughout the game. Like he just became a more sort of demonstrably animated person as he was batting. And by the end of his second hundred on uh, day four, he was all the old flourishes and mannerisms and quirks and ticks were, were back. Um, he was he looked like he was back enjoying what he does. And you know, he, clearly that little phase where he'd fallen out of love with the game had passed. But I think he's much more in love with it now than he possibly was even five days ago uh, on the strength of that. The other unforgettable moment that I thought was just, and this is a bit you know, nuffy-ish, I know, but just that first over of an Ashes test and when you know, Stuart Broad came thundering in and you know, David Warner played and missed a couple of times and you thought, oh, well, this is, is the ball hooping around, the crowd's riding every moment. It's just, it's just kind of like 
exciting stuff, isn't it? It is. I mean, you've seen so many of them, Rambo. I mean, if, if that still gets you up and about, oh, it must yeah. be unforgettable. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd forgotten that uh, Harold Larwood and uh, Vos both came from Nottingham. I thought they came from Yorkview. So there's not a lot that sticks in my mind, but yeah, uh, that yeah. does. I mean, you even forgot that James Anderson opened the bowling. So you've, you've forgotten the first over. Oh, well, that was, you know, he was clearly limping and that was had no <laughs> sense of theatre to it at all. Well, let's go on with forgettable moments and we'll start with Anderson, who only bowled those four overs, four overs, three maidens, none for one. But uh, at the end of that fourth over, felt some tightness in that troublesome right calf of his. Never to be seen again. Well, he was seen again. He was batting a couple of times, but uh, apparently re-aggravated it in the first innings. Came out and batted for a couple of minutes in the second innings late on day five. Uh, what's going to happen to James Anderson? We uh, we have we'll talked about these concussion subs. You can't have a calf sub. Uh, he England were a man down, and that probably contributed to why Australia racked up 487 in the second innings. Uh, James Anderson is that the last we've seen of him? Um, but I don't think we could say we won't see him again in Test cricket. I'm not sure about the rest of this series. I think that's not only is the calf a bit of a concern and they can't seem to pinpoint whether he's damaged a different part of his calf, whether he's suffered a recurrence of the previous injury mm-hmm. or whether this is um, how serious it is. Um, but also then he's going to have to do some bowling before they can pick him again, you'd think. And even if it's not in a match, they'd have to somehow replicate what he'd have to do in a match to show that he can you know, bowl a spell, have a rest, come back, bowl another spell, bat, because as you yeah. say, he f- the biggest discomfort for him was pushing off from the crease when trying to attempt to run when batting. So and even just walk around the field for so long, you know, sprinting after balls. Be on your feet for yeah. five or six hours, whatever it is. So without playing a first-class game, I don't know how they recreate that uh, workload, um, but they couldn't do it in a hurry. So given they had to go through this test a bowler down pretty much from the first 20 minutes, then they're not going to take that risk again. Um, and if he does come back, someone suggested he may make a guest appearance in a tour game. I think the Australians are playing a tour game at Derby between the third and fourth tests. Uh, they might parachute him in there just to give him some bowling, but I can't imagine that that would happen. And if he doesn't play... if he, I think if he's targeting a test, it would be the fourth test at Old Trafford, his home ground, and that yep. will give him a good few weeks to get it right. And we don't want to see him go because on t- today we've seen uh, the retirement of two greats of the game. Dale Steyn announced his retirement from Test cricket. He's going to pull up stumps after a remarkable Test career, probably the modern rival to James Edison, different bowlers, but uh, if you're thinking of all-round package, Steyn, pace, swing, bounds, accuracy... Angry eyes. Yeah, angry eyes. Love to cut the head off snakes. Um, he's right up there. Uh, and then uh, Brenda McCallum, the uh, global T20 clash blast thing, whatever it is in uh, Canada. It's going to be his last tournament before hanging up the boots for good. So uh, we want James Anderson to keep going. So hopefully we see him again uh, later on in the series. Um, we've talked about Jason Roy's shot. He'd like to forget that, wouldn't he? He would. He won't. <laughs> He'll be reminded of that next time he bats, I'm sure. That'll be on the low lights reels for quite some time. Yeah, not great. Uh, and then the umpires, Rambo, didn't have their best test. Let's put it that way. I lost track how many 
incorrect decisions they made. It was somewhere near the 15 mark, I think, by the end of the five days. They were on world record pace at one point today. Were they? It's not great. Um, we don't like to bag the umpires. We don't. It's a tough job. There's a lot going on out there. Ashes contest. I'm sure it's you know the occasion must get to the players and it must get to the umpires as well. Uh, but yeah, a couple of, um, I guess, howlers. But fortunately, they were overturned, most of them, by the DRS and that's what it was there for is to overturn the howler and if an umpire is having a bad day or a bad test both of them uh, that's what it's there for I mean the, the reviews are actually pretty good they didn't really lose too many um, the, the players so they were, they were reviewing the right ones um, not great for the umpires they're going to stick around we've got the umpiring schedule in front of us they've all been appointed ahead of it's the series it's been leaked to us have it? it has been exclusively reveal Andrew that uh, Alim Dar will back up for the Lord's Test match and then Joel Wilson. Oh, Joel, was that a revelation too? Is that something we've never seen before? I thought, or I heard thought before? Joel was Superman's father, but I may have that wrong. Uh, Cal L, Joel. Sounds about right. I think it's Jorel. Oh, he couldn't umpire anyway. No, no. no. Um, and uh, Joel Wilson is going to do the third test at Headingley. So, um, not great, but DRS was there. I guess it did its job. Uh well, you'd hate to think what that test would have been like without DRS. It was if they those decisions that some of them were palpably wrong, um, and that you know, guys getting fired for LBWs when they've inside edged the ball onto their pads, or um, given not out when they've uh, uh, been trapped in front, or uh, whatever. That that's what really leads to unrest on the field. So having the right of review to take it to the high court, if you like, uh, if you feel you've been aggrieved and that sorts it out, then that's got to be a good thing, you'd think, uh, for in terms of the the way the game's conducted and the relations between players, umpires and players and players. So um, while that wasn't uh, an outstanding performance, probably the right result was achieved more times than not. I would say so. Uh, you... It didn't really affect the course of the game, did it? There weren't any of those big decisions that really swung the momentum of the game. I mean, if they had have been missed, that would have happened. But uh, fortunately, those ones, the DRS came in and saved the day. So, not great. But uh, there's another test match. Yes, and uh, it is a difficult job. And we don't envy them. And what else do you say about umpiring? Should be, uh, is it not seen, not heard? Let's hope we don't talk about them again. Who? Spot on. Okay. Uh, our rapid stat. Rapid stats of the first test. Lots of them. Lots of runs. Lots of records broken. A couple that we've picked out. This was the first test match win for Australia in an Ashes contest after conceding a first inning deficit since 1981, Andrew, uh, at Trent Bridge. Way back when I think Kim Hughes was captain, Dennis Lilly and Rod Marsh are in the side, Greg Chappell. Uh, that series was that, the, was that the Ian Botham series? That series didn't end very well for Australia, but uh, they won that game after considering I think it was six runs, a big deficit, but they came back nonetheless. Australia gave up ninety runs in this game, uh, thirty-eight years ago. It's fairly impressive. That is, uh, it shows how difficult it is to do when you're mm. behind on the first innings or behind the game, as they like to say. So uh, that's uh, that is a very Worthwhile stat. And let's go one even farther back. This one to 1947. Uh, this is the most test runs after 119 test innings. Uh, Steve Smith broke the record, which was held by Wally Hammond. Uh, 6,440 runs for Wally. Uh, Steve Smith broke it when he got to 98 in the second innings. He's now well above that. 
uh, he's an absolute run machine, isn't he? I mean, all these comparisons to Bradman, uh, uh, some are fair, some of them are a little bit, uh, what's the word, Andrew? Tenuous? Yes. <laughs> but, uh, Perhaps. Uh, but he has got a lot obscure. of you, you cannot deny the fact that he just keeps piling on the runs. You cannot deny that. I was looking at his like scores for the last six Ashes, six mm. or seven Ashes, and he's averaging like 150 plus in Ashes cricket, which is why the England must be so bereft of ideas of how to get him out. Um, but now that's a, if you trumped a stat from 1947 um, that isn't Bradman. Yes. Because I'm assuming Bradman didn't play 119 test innings. Is that why? Uh, 56 tests. No, he only played only 80, 80 innings. Well, there you go. See, if he, if you've, if you've out Bradman, Bradman, then uh, you really are on the uh, on your own, as it were. Yes, yeah, it's, it's extraordinary stat. I mean, there's lots of other ones about. Uh, I mean, Smith probably got some of the records, but there are our two rapid stats. I think. Uh, I don't have a rapid stat. I, didn't have rabid, one? I had a rapid stat, but that would have been the dogs coming from the high pitch oh, squeal. Yeah. But we, we don't, it didn't happen, so we'll we move can, on. We can put that in there. Um, where's the research team? Isn't that their job? Oh, I don't know. They dis- they they're like the the third new ball. They disappeared into a pint glass a, <laughs> a month ago and haven't been seen since. All right. What does it all mean? Let's, let's done uh, recap. What does it all mean? Really, that's it is the first test of the World Test Championship, and that being the case, Australia have accrued twenty four points. They are now leading. They are the top of the table of the World Test World Test Championship. The final is going to be in a couple of years somewhere in England. We don't know quite where yet. I'd be surprised if it wasn't at Lords, but um, they might not go to Lords. Uh, but yeah, they're at the top of the table. They are. Uh, I understand that the, the way the point system works is that you get 120 points allocated for a series, mm-hmm. and that's then divided by the number of tests, obviously, which is why Australia have got 24. So India are about to begin a two-test series against the West Indies in the Caribbean. If they win that first test, they go to 60 points. I know. Surge ahead. Australia could be... Uh, win the first two tests of this Ashes series and still be behind. So it's a it evens out over the course of the two years, obviously. But it's a, it's an interesting concept. It's a funny old thing. Yes, uh, what's that? Twenty second of August by the time that one kicks off. So yeah, Australia might play their second test by then. So it could be twenty four all. Who knows? We'll find out. Uh, but they are ahead of that. But probably more importantly, right now they are one nil up in the test series, and they don't want to be complacent, do they, Rambo? Because um, uh, as history would suggest us, recent history, um, they've been front runners but haven't been able to hold on. Their 2017 series in India, they won the first test in Pune, end up losing 2-1. The following year, they went to South Africa, won the first test in Durban, end up losing that series 3-1. Uh, went to the UAE, uh, big draw against Pakistan that first game, lost that one, uh, lost the second test there. And then here... They've won the first test, and uh, it's fair to say that uh, Justin Langer has has a bit of experience. Uh, Yes, well, interestingly, which is what people say when they're about to follow up with something that's not that interesting. um, Interestingly, they haven't won a first test of an Ashes series in England since 2005, Mm. and that prompted the infamous uh, invasion of the deserted England dressing room at Lords hours after the test finished where the, the Australian team sang their song in a fairly graceless act of hubris that came back to haunt them in that series mm. because as we all remember 
They didn't win another Test Net series. Haven't won a series in England since then. Um, so uh, celebrating too hard after a one-test win at the start of a five-test series, uh, they've learnt their lesson. And given that the current coach was the man who sang that song, then I think that lesson has uh, resonated with them fairly strongly. It certainly has. Uh, so the next steps flows perfectly into their final category. Uh, one of the reasons why they can't celebrate, apart from the, uh, the lessons from 2005, is they've got a tour game starting on Wednesday. Very tight turnaround for the Australians. They travel to Worcester tomorrow to take on a Worcestershire side in a three-day first-class game. A couple of players are going to be rested. No surprise that uh, Steve Smith, I don't think he's actually even going to Worcester. He's going to go off the grid for a little while, rest, recharge, and get ready for the Lord's Test match. Or he did okay there four years ago. What did he get? 215 and 58. So he doesn't mind batting at the supposedly home of cricket. Um, they go through their game there. Uh, that will probably determine... Um, actually, well, probably won't determine the, the 11, will it, Rambo? The, the, the thinking is they're going to pick the attack uh, based on the conditions. So they'll have to wait till they get to London, to get to Lords to check out the pitch and see if they need to tweak that fastballing attack. And fortunately, they didn't have to bowl a whole lot on day five. So fastballs didn't get too many overs under their belts. Uh, but no doubt, Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark will be pushing for selection. Yes, I don't know what to expect from the pitch at Worcester. The, the, as you were there for a tour game, it does fill up with water occasionally. <laughs> it does. Uh, the, the new road ground has been known to, uh, when the tide goes out... Um, Sometimes it doesn't go out. It's just it's half stump high. Yeah. Um, so that could be anything. It, it is an unusual. It's a bit like when those old Ashes tours when they used to play you know twenty five tour games and the tour games would start the day after a test finished. Um, it's a pretty tight turnaround, but such a very compacted schedule that um, it's just one RDO for the players uh, who will be playing in Worcester and on they go. There'll be interest in that game for the Lord's Test, as you say, and also a chance for some. Guys who might not play much cricket for the next few weeks to uh, get some uh, game time under their belt and uh, maybe even push their case. For England, uh, they're going to have a couple of days off, uh, but not for one player because Jofra Archer is playing a second eleven game for Sussex. All eyes on him because he would be the likely replacement for James Anderson if he's in fact ruled out of the second game. Uh, yes, uh, which in itself carries its risk, doesn't it? He's come back from a side strain, which apparently was quite painful for him in that uh, World Cup final. He said he was in excruciating pain. Excruciating. Um, and he will be playing at a place called Blackstone that I've never heard of, but I'm told is a nice, picturesque. quaint, yeah. picturesque community ground that's about to be inundated with every <laughs> cricket journalist uh, in England. Um, Except us, we're not going there. We're not going there, we're going to Worcester. We're going to Worcester. Um, uh, so th- that'll be... Huge interest down there because he hasn't played a lot of red ball cricket in the last few years. So uh, to get him up and ready for a, an important test match and you have to think that one nil down in the series, every selection's crucial from here. What about Moen Ali? Rambo didn't look great with a bat. Out to the line both innings. Didn't look great with a ball. Got taken to uh, Smith handling pretty easily and then even the Australia's monstrous second innings, they, he didn't look like a posing much of a threat. Uh, Jack Leach, only a couple of weeks ago, was man of the match, of a Lord's Test match. 
Uh, and the stats show that Steve Smith, I mean, you kind of feel like the selections now are going to try and be um, with, a, with a, a point of trying to get Smith out. Smith doesn't average as well against uh, left-arm spin as he does all the other bowling disciplines. So maybe he comes in for Moeen. And they got to look at someone like Sam Curran, who's a left-arm, a very capable batsman as well. Uh, and again, another point of difference for the attack, just to try and get Steve Smith out. How do you get Sam Curran in that team? I don't know what you do with this Johnny Bairstow who's been out of Nick. Do you give the gloves to someone like Butler and then bring him in? Or does Joe Denley survive? Do they, they persist with Roy? Something for the England selectors, I guess. Well, they're certainly not short of batting depth, are they? Like if, they if they can bat Chris Wokes at number nine in their test team, then I don't think that having an extra batting option is something that they would particularly be thinking. So it becomes the whether they think the left arm, as you say, point of difference, uh, try something else against Smith. Um, the other thing is there's a lot of left-handers in the Australian top order, so would the left armour be as effective uh, mm. against them? Are you picking a bowler simply to bowl to one bloke? Um, interesting. Uh, Moeen, yeah, you'd have to think that he's um, going to struggle to hold his place simply because that pitch was, as Nathan Lyon showed, uh, ripe for a, a, an accurate probing spinner and Moeen just couldn't get any traction there on day four. So uh, you'd have to think that at Lords, which is not notoriously, uh, it can be dry, but it doesn't spin a lot, um, whether he was a good option there. Um, you just think they have to go with the specialist spinner. Jack Leach is a Lords specialist. Mm. He opened the batting. He did. He did. That's another thing I hadn't seen before was Moeen dished up a couple of moon balls <laughs> the old the old head high full toss balls that were and they were they were mm. well above head high I mean Smith's they were full short, moon balls Smith's a, short, Smith's a short man but they were sailing over his head um, I don't know if that's a tactic or just a mistake I think it might be the latter on that occasion alright that's it we're going to Worcester we're going to Worcester uh, a lovely and an epic trip too like we need to pack a lunch and head here because I think it's like 48 kilometres down the road um it's basically an outer suburb of Birmingham, so that'll be interesting. 48 kilometres, as many hours as Steve Smith batted throughout this test match. Uh, big thing about uh, Worcester too, Rambo, is the, the ladies' pavilion there, which have these delightful cakes they serve at tea time, so I'm sure you'll be getting t- you'll be tucking into those. Uh, yes, and, and they're not crippled crab cakes. They are proper cakes. This is uh, dessert cakes. These are, these are the really tasty ones. Probably a little bit sweeter than crippled crab cakes. All right, we've got to go. Uh, that's it for this week's episode, but we will be back next week to preview the Lord's Test Match and wrap up everything that uh, happens in Worcester and get uh, Rambo's cake reviews. Uh, but until then, uh, for all your breaking news, live scores and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the C8 Live app. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.